Hello and welcome to the Carson Daily Show. I am your internet obsessed, maybe addicted, crypto culture guru, advisor, and analyst, Carson Daly. In a parallel universe, today's episode would revolve around Tom Sandoval's appearance on Howie Mandel's podcast. It's all about the pasta. With maybe a bit of commentary on the fact that 19-year-old Millie Bobby Brown is engaged, but I will respectfully stay in my respective and illustrious lane of tech, Web3, and crypto. This week, we're talking blockchain technology appropriation by the big banks, the Shanghai update to the Ethereum network, and mainstream media's latest obsession with fear-mongering AI. With haste, people, let's get into it. The Federal Reserve is planning to launch a real-time payment network called FedNow in July. Real-time payments are probably something we don't think of too often, but it is worth noting that even Venmo just introduced instant bank transfers at a higher fee only a few years ago. As of now, when you deposit a check, make a fund transfer between banks, or even plan a withdrawal of cash, you may be subject to a wait time of a couple of hours or even up to a couple of days. And it's worth mentioning also that the U.S. government has never mandated that banks offer real-time payments. And major banks have resisted moving to real time for years. This resistance can cost consumers hundreds of billions of dollars in the form of overdraft fees, check cashing fees, late fees, and payday loans. All of those fees, of course, serve as additional income for banks. So our loss is, as always, their gain. Thomas Warsop, the interim president and CEO at ACI Worldwide, the globe's leading payment software solution, said real-time payments are the future of modern digital economies. Duh, Thomas. The federal network will be available to every bank and credit union in the country. As a blockchain enthusiast myself, I immediately recognize this type of technology and efficiency as one of the key arguments in favor of cryptocurrency payments, which happen almost instantaneously from one digital wallet to the other. The stark similarities between FedNow's offering and digital currency, of course, made people question if the service would be replacing cash and led many to believe it is one of the initial stages of an American central bank digital currency, which the firm unequivocally denied and stated FedNow is not a digital currency. So is this news bullish or bearish for crypto enthusiasts? Well, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, an argument could be made for bullish to say this type of payment network and structure is exactly what the blockchain offers and provides people who transact with cryptocurrency. But is it bearish? Because why not just use cryptocurrency? Banks and centralized finance institutions appropriating the tech for themselves without integrating cryptocurrency might be further proof that crypto is, looking around nervously, obsolete, making the tech valuable but the asset worthless. Don't tell anybody I said that. But the Federal Reserve isn't the only financial institution to roll out new services that made my blockchain senses tingle. Visa just announced Visa Plus, a service to support interoperability between peer-to-peer apps. Literally, that is the headline. It's like they took it from the Web3 dictionary. Also worth noting that in that sentence, inter, between, and to basically all mean the same thing, so they really are belaboring the point. 
To launch, Visa is partnering with PayPal and Venmo to trial Visa Plus as a new way to send money between the two digital payment apps. PayPal and Venmo users in the U.S. will be able to set up a completely new payment address linked to their existing account and send money between the two platforms later this year. Basically, Visa Plus is to centralize finance as Uniswap is to decentralize finance. Again, cool, but is it really? To the average consumer, services like FedNow and Visa Plus seem evolutionary, or at the very least, much more convenient. But for the small percentage of the global economy who already have experienced participating in decentralized finance, it feels more like one of those moments when finally the rest of the world has caught up with what we're already plugged into. Only time will tell if services like this are a fun little form of microdosing DeFi models by major financial institutions. And if that's the case, you can bet that I'll be there to say I told you so. The Ethereum blockchain's Shanghai upgrade is scheduled for today, which will enable validators to withdraw staked ETH and rewards that have been locked up since 2020. The most basic way to describe the Shanghai upgrade is that it improved transaction fees and smart contract efficiency, as told by ChatGPT. Before Shanghai rolled out in 2021, fees on the network were based on a bidding system, which meant users had to compete with each other to have their transactions processed. The most important development in the Shanghai upgrade scheduled for today is the permitting of validators to withdraw their stake tokens, which is reported to be about 18 million ETH, and it was staked as a way to secure the network back in 2020. Validators have been especially crucial to the Ethereum blockchain since September 2022, when the merge process began shifting the network from proof-of-work to proof-of-stake. The merge required validators lock up their ETH as well as any rewards they earned until a later chain update. Even though the merge took place in 2022, validators have actually been staking ETH since December 2020. It was at this time that the beacon chain, relying on proof of stake as a mechanism, was released, according to Decrypt. So this could mean any number of things. Validators can choose to make responsible withdrawals and liquidate some of their staked ETH. They could keep a stake and continue to yield rewards. Or there could be a mass exodus altogether. It seems that developers are prepared for any and all of these options. Anyways, whether you understand the network mechanics or not, hint I don't, we can make some educated assumptions here. In December 2020, the price of ETH ranged from about $500 to $750 USD. So if you bought and staked in December, you're up at least 2.5x, give or take. That's not including any yield rewards either. In December 2020, the price of ETH ranged from about 500 to 750 US dollars. So if you bought and staked back then, you're up at least two and a half X, give or take. That's not including any yield rewards. In December 2019, however, the price of ETH ranged from around 120 to 140 US dollars. So if you bought and held for even a year before you staked, you'd be up, up, up when the Shanghai upgrade rolls out. If I was going to hedge my bet, I'd say that right now in a global recession, bear market, and all around down bad time, I would put my money on the motherfuckers cashing out. But that's just me. And when I say that's just me, I don't really mean I'm cashing out because that would assume I have anything to cash out. We'll have to see how the ETH price holds as it's higher today than it's been in quite some time. 
And roughly $34 billion is set to unlock after Shanghai. So, of course, investors and analysts are uneasy about what it might mean for ETH in the short and long term. It's one of those things, though, that because there's going to be a withdrawal queue for weeks to months to receive the assets, it might not be a cataclysmic black swan in the way some might fear. But in the words of one of my favorite and smartest guests, the Bogart, sell in May and walk away. That's not financial advice, by the way. Just a good way to end this obnoxiously nerdy news segment and transition to something else. Let's talk about mainstream media's fear-mongering of artificial intelligence. Okay, during my sourcing and research this week, I was overwhelmed by the number of AI-related headlines, and I was flabbergasted by the content such articles reported. One story's headline read, It sounds like science fiction, but it's not. AI can financially destroy your business. Such a shocking headline for a story that was literally just about people using deep fake AI technology to impersonate someone on the phone and request money. This is, by the way, an FTC issued warning, which reads, all the scammer needs is a short audio clip of your family member's voice, which he could get from the content posted online and using a voice cloning program. And then he'll sound just like your loved one. First of all, does anyone even answer the phone anymore, let alone process financial transactions over the phone? I'm really quite annoyed by the efforts to evoke fear in boomers and Gen Xers about AI. And that last story is just one of many. AI was all over the feed this week, which is a big change from last month and even the month before when AI was all anyone was talking about. We're entering the inevitable backlash moment where traditionalists want to use mainstream media to sway public opinion in opposition of progression and evolutionary technology. We're now seeing open letters proposing six-month AI moratoriums to halt development, concerned op-eds, and even considerations of potential regulations around AI research via the Biden administration. The once exciting, efficiency-increasing, opportunity-generating technology is now overshadowed by dire warnings of dangerous consequences for the tech. I see these pushes and pulls as a clear indication that we are not approaching Web3, but we are in it. And we are experiencing it in a tried and true textbook paradigm of duality. Some are for and some are against. When a group emerges that holds a position in favor of progression, it implies that a group is opposite them. Described by philosopher Carl Schmidt as a concept in which men can only be unified against other men. Social scientists and philosophers have unpacked these notions for centuries. It was 20th century science and tech critic Max Weber who said as technology progresses, it creates alienation and disconnect from the world around us because the nature of technology itself is the constant continuation and production of the next generation. New technology subverts the world and also subverts what is meaningful to us. I'll end my rant there, but just be aware of this paradigm. It is no coincidence that only weeks after an AI hype craze takes over mainstream media, it's met by backlash and fear-mongering by aged, antiquated, and outdated news media outlets. Most of the world's economy rulers don't want to make your life easier, more efficient, more rooted in technology, because if that were the case, they would become obsolete, rendering parts of our lives and existence obsolete too. That's all. And once all these gotcha journalists are replaced by AI, we'll probably get a story after story about how dangerous humans are. The difference is we already know that with absolute certainty, it's true. 
on that note, I'm actually going to switch it up today. And instead of doing MFA or not financial advice, we're going to have a little Dior segment. That's right, Dior, as in D-Y-O-R, as in do your own research. As a secret philosophy nerd, which you probably gathered from my last little rant, I thought you might like to Dior on some of my fave philosophers who maybe will teach you a thing or two about Web3 without you even knowing. Let me start by saying Philosophize This is my go-to podcast for all things philosophy. Hosted by Stephen West, Philosophize This is a podcast dedicated to sharing the ideas that shaped our world, and it is so beginner-friendly, even I retain the information consumed. So my advice is Dior. Go listen to episode 133 of Philosophize This on Carl Schmidt and liberalism, episode 144 of Max Weber and the Iron Cage, and episode 164 on Rolf Waldo Emerson and self-reliance. I'll link the episode in the show notes. So go ahead and Dior. Soon you'll come to understand why I'm so fucking pessimistic all the time. That's what happens when you spend your days figuring out that the world and society is a well-oiled machine and we're all just clogs in the system. Okay, that's all the time, energy, and capacity I have for the show today. Okay, that's all the news updates I have for you today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Carson Daly. Please follow me on all socials, Twitter and Instagram at Carson Daly. Follow the show's dedicated Instagram at Carson Daly Show. Rate this show five stars anywhere you listen to podcasts. And tune in next week where I'll be back. Because as you know, you can't go a week in crypto without Carson Daly. The Carson Daly Show is a Decentral Media production written by me and my better comedic half, James Carr, with music by Woody. See you next Tuesday. Bye.